Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, March 26, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Great. Greg is doing great. Is everybody else doing great? Well, this morning, John is out of town. If you didn't notice that, then please go get your glasses checked. Because <laughs> I'm not John. But John and Blaine and uh, Kristen and, and Sandra, they're on their way back from Orlando. So we're going to pray for them and, and pray for safe travel. We want them back here safe and sound. But this morning, you've got me. And we're going to be in Philippians 2 this morning. But before we begin, I'm, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that, that we can come together here as your body, your church. We can uh, sing praises to you. We can celebrate the victory we have in Jesus. And, and we, we can even s- s- sing and praise you saying it is well with our soul, even when times are difficult. Lord, we, we love you, we honor you, and we desire to praise you. And Lord, uh, as we hear this thunder, we, we know that you, you are God, even in the storm of our lives, even in the storm uh, of, of persecution, even in the storm of temptation. And Lord, we know that, that you are God that you are for our good, that you love us, that you're going to mold us and make us into your image. And Lord, we just celebrate that fact this morning. Lord, bring John and Kristen and Blaine and Sandra back uh, home safe and sound. Lord, uh, thank you for this time away. Lord, return them back to us safely. Lord, cause us to honor you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So Philippians 2, be looking at, at verses 1 through 11. And we're going to be taking a look at, at Paul's letter here. But in order to understand the heart of this epistle, we first have to understand Paul's relationship with the Philippians. Paul loved the Philippians. Paul loved to gather, to fellowship, if you will, with the Philippians. Not because they had common hobbies. Not because of good food and drink. Not because their kids were best friends. The fellowship shared between Paul and the Philippians is a fellowship of compatriots bound together for a great cause. So this great cause leads to an epic fellowship. A fellowship which brings two parties together, united under one banner, striving forward together, encouraged by one another, seeking to live lives worthy of the gospel. So that's, that's where we're at right here, looking at Paul with the Philippians. So Paul, having that close relationship, that close fellowship, is seeking to encourage the church. 
here in Philippians 2. Well, really throughout the entire book of, uh, in, in the entire epistle to the Philippians. He's seeking to encourage them, but also to encourage them to examine their lives for evidence of uniting faith. So once this evidence has been proven for proper judgment, Paul encourages the church at Philippi to carry out these principles, to live this out. And then lastly, Paul shows the source of this evidence, the outworking of this faith, is ultimately in Christ alone. Now, I've, I've entitled this message, Complete My Joy. And Greg did not know this in studying this week for Sunday school. I did not know this because I'm a horrible elder and a horrible Sunday school student. I did not study for Sunday school this week. Um, so, Greg, I apologize. But <laughs> this really comes on the heels of Sunday school. So if you miss Sunday school, go back, listen to it online. Greg graciously records these Sunday school lessons. You did record today, right? Very good. Go back, listen to it. Uh, very good lesson. Tough lesson, but very good. So, so really, th this is just part two of Greg's Sunday school lesson. We're, we're, we're getting Paul's perspective on this instead of Peter's. So Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God ha has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." before I go any further, Caleb, could you do me a favor and take me out of the monitor? As much as I want y'all to hear me, I don't want to hear myself. There we go. Thank you. All right. So, so as, as we're considering the completing of Paul's joy, we're going to consider this from a context here at Grace as well. Because, well, I want you to complete my joy. Your elders here at Grace want you to complete our joy as well. So we're going to consider this from our context, our perspective. Now Paul's joy was found complete in Christ. That's where our joy is found complete, right? Our joy is found complete in Christ. This means yes, this means no. 
I just I want to make sure y'all are with me here. So our joy is, uh, is, is complete in Christ. So first and foremost, that's where Paul's joy is found. So when Paul says, complete my joy, he's not saying that Christ lacks in fulfilling his joy. He's not saying that there's something lacking here. Rather, Paul's joy is found in God's people. And when it's found in God's people, it's for Christ's sake. So Paul's, in fact, celebrating the work that Christ has accomplished, that Christ is actively accomplishing, and that Christ will bring to completion in and through the church at the day of Christ. This is the joy that Paul is considering. In the same way, we rejoice, your elders rejoice, when we see God open the eyes of people to the supreme beauty of Jesus when the gospel is preached. We rejoice together. The, the, the elders are not just rejoicing, but we as members here at Grace, we rejoice together when a brother and sister has victory over sin. We rejoice together when one is healed of sickness. We rejoice together when we see another mat Christian mature in the faith. We rejoice together when our children are saved and baptized. We rejoice together whenever we see maturity in love, in holiness, in knowledge of God. We rejoice when these things work out in each other's lives. Now Paul is finding his joy made complete when those he loves, those that he calls my joy and crown. Has, has any of the elders here at Grace ever called you my joy, my crown? I think we failed, Scott. Folks, you are our joy and our crown. In many ways, you make it easy for us to serve as elders here at Grace. But I'm going to be, be honest. In other ways, you make it difficult. Of course, in other ways, we make it difficult too, right? But you are still, because God has, has placed us here, has called men to be shepherds, have called you folks to salvation, you are our joy and our crown. In the same way, we live together in such, way, such a way that evidences that we are of a same mind. And through that same-mindedness, we rejoice in Christ together. Which this brings us to our first truth, evidence of same-mindedness. We see this in, in verses uh, 1 through 2 of chapter 2. Paul mentions in the previous chapter, in, in 1, in verse 27, how our lives are to be. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Not just any gospel, the gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul calls for the church to examine their lives in a similar fashion. We're called to, to examine the evidence similar to a court case. He urges them, whether he comes or not, to make sure that they are found guilty of, in fact, being Christians, rather than being guilty of neglect or apathy. So what are these marks of a Christian that Paul's looking towards here, that he's looking for? We see encouragement in Christ. 
where do we find our hope? Where do we find our joy? Do we find our encouragement? Do we find our meaning? Do we find our purpose ultimately in Christ? Or are we devoted to the things of the world? Are we devoted to the things that cause us to sin or distract us from the gospel? Do we love the word of God? It's a simple question. Do we love the word of God? I mean, husbands, do you love your wives? Wives, do you love your husbands? We spend time with them, right? We spend time with them, right? So we love the word of God. Do we love the word of God? We're going to spend time there. Do we spend time there? Do we meditate on it? Does it encourage us to press on? Do we find comfort from the love of Christ? We find comfort from the love of our spouse. Do we find comfort from the love of Christ? Do we find comfort from the gospel? The gospel, as we often teach here at Grace, is not just the good news for the lost, although it is. But it is still the good news for us as believers. We as Christians, we need the gospel. We need daily reminding of the gospel. We find hope there. We find encouragement there. And we put it before us daily, reminding us that we've been bought, that we've been purchased for a price. We've been purchased in such a way that we've been called to a life that is different from this world. We no longer live according to the ways of this world. We no longer participate in the depraved practices of this world. We no longer celebrate. We no longer embrace the things of this world. Yes, yes, we have liberty. But, do, but, but we do not have liberty to sin. We do not have liberty to live in a manner that is unworthy of the gospel. Right? So we participate. Here, here's another mark here. We participate in the Spirit. We see there uh, in, in verse 1. Participate in the Spirit, meaning we have fellowship with the Spirit. More questions uh, by way of evaluation. As Christians, we possess the Holy Spirit. But do we exercise that fellowship actively? How many of you have a treadmill at home? Incumbent bike? Some, some piece of exercise equipment. How many of you have it at home? Okay. How many of you use it regularly? You don't have to raise your hands on that one. If, if. <laughs> but, I mean, if, if we have something to exercise with, is it going to do anything if we do not use it? The Holy Spirit dwells within us is fellowshipping with us, desires to fellowship with us, but are we actively exercising that fellowship? Do we pray? Do we read the word? Do we gather with the church regularly? Are we convicted of sin? That's, that's I think that's probably 
one of the biggest ones right there is, are we convicted of sin? That, that tells a lot of whether or not we are actively fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Affection, compassion, sympathy. Each of these are really just love in action, just under different circumstances. How do we love in good times? How do we love in bad times, hard times, easy times? Do we love? Now here at Grace, we have home groups. So we're able to flesh that out in our home groups. And, and I, I hope that we, we do that and do it well. Because we, we've got a, a, an environment that is conducive for making disciples, for loving one another, for serving one another, and meeting these needs in a tight, close-knit walk into the mess of everybody's home and, and love on one another in this way. But do we love, and does our love show in this way? I, I, th I, think, we, I think we have to ask this because Paul is asking, so, or, or saying here, if there's any encouragement, if, the, if any of these things are there, then you're proving yourself to be true. You're proving yourself to be a Christian and it completes his joy. Paul writes, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is where we see our joy complete for the church. When these evidences of verse 1 are found, no, this is not an exhaustive list, certainly not exhaustive at all. But these are certainly marks that must be evidenced. These must be seen in a believer's life. It creates joy for Christians, for other Christians, when, it, when they are seen. It creates joy for me to gather in my home group and to hear of how, what's going on in your life. It creates joy whenever I get a text from a brother or sister in Christ saying they've been praying for me this week. It creates joy knowing that they are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. It creates joy. And we see that our joy encourages, it pushes us forward. And, and for your elders here at Grace, it really creates joy for us. It encourages us as we see God work. Not that, that we are special. Uh, Greg, Greg made a good point of that, that we are not special this morning. Thank you, Greg. Um, we, we, we're, we're not some superhero Christians just because we stand up here. Not, I mean, Y'all know that. We haven't done anything extraordinary. Rather, we've been called to shepherd the church and in that calling, we rejoice when God moves among his people. We rejoice along with Paul whenever he rejoiced over the, the church of Philippi who were united in doctrine. They were united in practice and in love and in the example that Christ put before them. When the church is united in mind, it's going to overflow in action. It's, it's not going to stay contained. Which brings us to our uh, second truth here. 
consider one another in humility. Looking at verses 3 to 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's examination of evidence demands an action. We cannot, cannot, cannot know something without acting upon it. It demands that we consider one another in a manner which is worthy of the gospel. This manner in the context of verse 3 is humility and love. So do we consider one another? Do we consider one another? Do we, do we act from selfish ambition? Or do we, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves? Paul is calling the, the Philippians, really, to a radical culture shift here. Selfish amb- ambition, conceit. The Philippians would have completely understood that, that this fits in well with the Greek culture. In fact, Greek literature rarely used these terms, except for the instances of weakness. It was, it, it was a derogatory sense that implied weakness. But we at Grace know, I told you this is Greg's Sunday School Lesson two, uh, Part 2, so we know from Greg's Sunday School class that humility is not weakness. We know from our study in Gentle and Lowly that humility, that lowliness, is not weakness, it's in fact loving. It's power under control. It considers others greater, more significant than ourselves. All for a purpose. All for the glory of God. And when we see this portrayed in the person and work of Christ, as we'll see a little bit later, we're going to see this power under control. We're going to see this gentle and lowly spirit in Christ. We're going to see this example of submitting and service that we're to imitate. Now, Paul, he's writing to the Philippians. He's not writing uh, this as someone on the outside. He's writing this having done it. He's, he's doing these things. He's as, as we discussed earlier, 1 Corinthians 10, 33-11-1, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul is living a life that is worthy of the gospel, a life that is not seeking his own good, but seeking the good of others. And he's saying, imitate me. Do what I'm doing as I imitate Christ. Now, there's a stipulation there. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If he, Paul ceases to imitate Christ, then don't, don't imitate Paul. Therefore, if I cease to imitate Christ, stop, stop looking. Look, look at Scott. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
The focus of the gathered church is others-oriented. So this, this is familiar in our homes as parents. Mothers and fathers are often others-oriented. We, we look towards the interests of our children, right? That's the heart of godly parenting. We sacrifice our sleep. Here I am. I slept great with all four of our children. My wife sacrificed sleep. I'm going to be honest here. My wife sacrificed sleep for our children. But there's nothing that a mother and a father will not do for their children in order to provide for their needs. We all get up, go to work in the morning. We all travel, take them where, where they need to go. We pay for their, their, their clothes. We put a roof over their heads. We put food in their bellies. We do what is necessary to meet their needs. It's others focused. Those little awful kill, children, it just, just get in the way, right? But uh, we do these things for our children. Our friendships, they only flourish when we are others-focused. How many of us have a best friend that we love spending time with that only thinks about themselves? It's not much of a friendship, right? It's kind of one-sided. So friendships flourish when they're others-focused. And if we desire and strive to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then our lives as Christians are going to be others directed when our interests for one another we 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 will submit to one another in the reverence of Christ as Paul writes in uh, Ephesians 5:21 Paul shows this in his uh, letter to the Galatians in 5:13 do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another Sunday school passage from last Sunday. We looked at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul's also writing to the church in Rome. Love one another, outdoing one another, and showing honor. Ephesians 4.2. Bear with one another in love. So what does this look like in our lives, specifically. How does this look here at Grace? How does it look for us to put the interest of others before our own? How does it look to submit to one another in love in the reverence of Christ? How does it look to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? For us here at Grace, the answer is quite simple. In fact, everyone who's listening here who has signed the, the church covenant, who's a covenant member here at Grace, or going through membership class and yet to sign the covenant, you've, you've read the covenant, you know the, the principles of, the, of, of our covenant. We, co- we have agreed and covenanted together to carry out these principles not only of our covenant, but also to carry out the principles 
of Scripture, which our covenant is founded in Scripture. We've signed this covenant declaring that we are of the same mind, that we are devoted to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we've signed this document which allows us to examine ourselves. It allows us to encourage one another and to live in an understanding way. So, by way of application, we're going to take our covenant, and Caleb's going to pull it up. We're going to read together each section, and after each section, I'm going to make a few comments applying each section to how we live here at Grace. All right. Y'all ready? So please read along with me. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we joyfully and with the utmost seriousness now enter into covenant with one another as one body of Christ. We acknowledge our dependence upon God and the Bible and that we constantly need the assistance of the Holy Spirit, especially in fulfilling this covenant. So we enter this covenant as one body. One body has a singular mind, works for the same purpose, for the same goal, for the same vision. If we as individuals do not operate, we, we, we don't operate in a schizophrenic manner in which we are divided in how we think and how we do and how we, we process these things. If we do not operate in such a divided way, then why would we operate that way in the church? Even more so, God the Father, along with the Son, the Holy Spirit, operates in a single-mindedness. Thus, we operate in a single-mindedness. All right, next one. Now, therefore, in the presence of God and by His grace, we commit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the evidence of our single mind. This is where we see that we are devoted in love for God, which has no option but to overflow in love for others as we make disciples. This is, this is where we're others focused here. All right, next one. We will walk together in Christian love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We walk together in love, united by love. We walk together with dynamic purpose, united in gospel-centered focus. Our focus is united, is, is similar. All right, next one. We will pray for one another, serve one another, giving preference to one another in honor and seek after that which is good for one another. So this is the focus of our passage this morning. We love one another in such a radical way that we lift up the, the needs for one another. We, we, we are aware of the needs in our body. And then we serve 
one another. We meet those needs. So how does this look in our day-to-day activity? How does it look when we gather? How does it look when we speak to one another? Do we speak with kindness? Are we patient with others? Not only when, when we speak, but also when we listen. How do we listen? Um, how, how, how do we dress? How do we dress? How, how, do, how do we cover our bodies? How, how do we display ourselves before others? Ladies, do you, do you dress in a manner that will cause your brother in Christ to stumble? I mean, ladies, we, we, we want to honor God with our bodies. Men, you're not off the hook, though. Men, do you love your sisters in Christ in such a way that you, you view them and look at them with purity instead of lust? I mean, if we're covenanting together, coming together with this covenant and thinking about how we love one another, how we serve one another, how we treat one another, we have to consider every aspect of how we interact. And brothers, I can tell you, when you look at your sister in Christ, you don't have to look them up head to toe to find out where their eyes are to make eye contact. Their eyes are the same place yours are. We, we love one another well. We desire to, to serve one another well. We desire to view one another well. So, when we love one another, and in considering one another, we're, we're considering the interests of others greater than our own, even in how we dress. That's just one example of, of, of how we do this here at Grace. All right, next slide. We will bear one another's burdens in all humility and accept one another as the Lord has accepted us. Once again, we're considering how we treat one another, bearing one another's burdens with humility, considering one another, submitting to one another, serving one another. Next slide. We will affectionately care for, watch over, and faithfully admonish one another as God gives us opportunity. This line continues the thought of the previous. We care for in such a way that we will not be comfortable with the fact that our brother and sister in Christ is uncared for. This pertains to the physical, pertains to the mental, pertains to the spiritual. It pertains to our sinful behavior. We will faithfully admonish one another in order to maintain the same-mindedness. We encourage one another in, in, in this. Next slide. We will strive to live as Christ in the world and denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life, to be salt and light, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, when we present the evidence of genuine faith, we are striving to live as Christ in the world. We are mortifying, putting to death that sin. We are putting to death those worldly lusts, and we're growing in grace. We're growing in sanctification, and in, in which we're being molded into the image of God. 
We rejoice when this happens. We rejoice when the church grows in this, these ways. And, and we are to be faithful in loving the gospel, loving others, being salt and light so that others might know the great love of Jesus Christ so that we too share in that completed joy, rejoicing when one comes to see the beauty of Christ. All right, next one. We will guard our tongues, not speaking evil or complaining against one another, avoiding all gossip, not lying to one another, but instead speaking words that admonish one another. Once again, we're recognizing the interests of others. We speak in a way that uplifts, that does not appease our ears or our own interests. We speak for the good of others, seeking to live in harmony with one another rather than living in distrust. Is there any, any harmony in distrust? Is there any harmony in lying? Is there any harmony in, in gossip and how, how we speak about others? So this guards our entire body from distrust of one another. It's amazing how, how much trouble a little, little tongue can cause because it guards the entire body from distrust. Distrust of one another, distrust in motive, distrust in intentions. So we speak truth, we trust one another for the good of the church, for the glory of God. And as Greg said this morning, this goes with our, for our elders. If there's something you see in our lives, something you see that of how we shepherd the, the church, comes talk to us. All right, next one. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, prayer, study, and fellowship, and will use our spiritual gifts for the common good. I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. How can we be of the same mind and consider one another having one another's interests ahead of our own if we neglect the regular gathering of the body. This is difficult. This is difficult. Now, I'm not saying that we never go on vacation, that we don't participate in sports, Little League, all that, those things. Carve out time for your family. Do those things. But do not neglect the gathering of the church. Do not neglect the fellowship of the body. And, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be extremely gracious here. I'm, I really am. However, our neglect to assemble will prove, I promise you, will prove to be a detriment to us individually. It'll prove to be a detriment to our families. It'll prove to be a detriment to our corporate body here at Grace. We're called to be one body, each contributing as they have been gifted for the common good. We exercise that gift, as mentioned in 1 Peter 4, we exercise it among the body. But once again, 
Like with our exercise equipment, if we cease to use it, what good is our exercise equipment? As a body, as our individual body goes, how would you feel if your hand just waved adios? Said, I'll see you in a month or two. What if your leg decided to shake a leg and take off for a month? I mean, our physical body would suffer from that. What if our eyes only decided to show up if there was something special to see? Or our minds whenever there was something entertaining? I mean, it's absurd, right? It's absurd. Our hands would never just take off and leave. Right? Raise both hands if both of your hands are here still. I mean, we... Our hands aren't running off. Our feet are not running off. Our ears, our eyes, our nose. They're they're there. They may not work as well as they used to. Some of us, our hair has run off. But we, we still, it's still assembled. It's still one body. And if we, our individual lives, our individual bodies are not separating, then why on earth would our corporate body forsake gathering. One more thing, our gathering, whether it be corporate worship, Sunday school, prayer meetings, fellowship, as, as we just said here, is, is that still up there? Yes. They're all f- for our benefit. They're all beneficial. And if we cease to be beneficial, if any of these things cease to be beneficial, once again, as Greg said, let your elders know. Let us know because we, we, don't, we don't want to do anything here at Grace that is not beneficial to the body or neglects to glorify God. Next, next slide. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. If we are of the same mind, we consider one another when we give cheerfully. We, we don't teach much on giving. How many, how many times have any of the elders preached or taught on giving? Not very often. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't don't teach on it much because for the most part, you folks give cheerfully. And we, we are very thankful for that. We are thankful that it supports the ministry, it supports our missions, it supports our missionaries. And we cannot do these things. We cannot do this work if you cease to continue to contribute cheerfully. That's all, all I've got there. So let's go to the next one. We will faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church and endeavor after unity of mind and doctrine. With one mind, we participate in the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. In such unity of mind, we find our doctrine to be similar as well. Next one. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves and lovingly assume our responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. In church discipline, we not only covenant to love humbly, but also covenant to receive love humbly. We're loving well, 
and we're receiving love well. Through church discipline, we examine the evidence of our lives. We look and see whether or not that we prove a manner of life which is worthy of the gospel. And when we cease to prove that, we have agreed to submit to receive love from the body. We have committed and covenanted together to receive that love, but also to give that love. Because we love the body, but even more so, we love God. Next one. We will abstain from all practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or the faith of others. Once again, we're emphasizing the interests of others over the interests of our own. If we know that a brother is struggling with addiction, do we continue to partake in addictive substances with them? Or not even that, do, do we continue to allow it, to condone it? If our brother is living a, a lifestyle that jeopardizes their faith and their witness, do we partake with them? Do we question them? And if we fail to keep the spirit of anything that has been previously read in our church covenant, we jeopardize our own faith. This clause here doesn't speak only to those who drink and chew and, and, and those that do. We, we are looking at anything that jeopardizes our faith. This requires serious examination. Because we have to consider our own hearts. We have to consider how we live, where we live. And while we have liberty in Christ, not all things are for our benefit or for the good of the church or for the glory of God. So where, where's our, our, our interest lying there? Next one. We will practice personal and family worship to train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So by way of confession, this, this is where I struggle the most. This is where I struggle to put my family's interest before my own. But thankfully, God is merciful in abundant grace in all of these things. Not just this one. Because when we practice personal and family worship, this is certainly putting off of self in favor of others. Because the salvation and spiritual growth of our spouse and our children it depends upon it. Men, step up. Lead your families well in this area. We're not off the hook here. This is serious, and we must practice this at home if we expect for our families to practice it when we gather corporately. Next one. We will witness for Christ seeking the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, and all the world. When we have a heart to be witnesses for Christ, we will have a heart to evangelize. While some, some of you are better at evangelism, speaking to strangers, than others, all Christians have the gospel. All Christians know the gospel, and they know what is required to be saved. You know why? Anybody can answer this one. 
Because we've been saved. We've experienced the gospel. And we're all to put the interests of others before our feelings of inadequacy to seek to share the gospel with those who are far from God. One more. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant, the principles of God's word. When we cease to be members at Grace, we still carry out these principles and that we put the interests of others before the interests of our own. Which brings us to our final truth. And I'm, I'm going to be brief. We have this mind in Christ alone. Look with me back at uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have this mind in Christ alone. Jesus models this in such a way that we cannot imitate perfectly, but because Christ has set this perfect example of humbling himself for the sake of sinners like you and me, we have hope of growing in grace, hope of being fashioned into his image by the work of Christ and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. We do not live defeated lives. We do not live defeated lives, brothers and sisters. We are encouraged because we have victory, as we just sang about, Tommy. Rather, we are victorious in Christ, which provides these evidences of faith. It proves our faith. So I'm going to close by reading Philippians 3, 12 uh, through 21. And, and I chose, chose this passage because this, this is Paul's continuation in Philippians. And he's, he, he knows he's, he's wrote some hard things to the Philippians. And he's writing to encourage them in this. And I know this has been a hard message. This, this, is, this has forced me to examine my own heart as well. But examination is good. In order to grow in grace, we have to examine our hearts, mortify sin, put it to death, and strive forward. So while we strive forward, uh, toward the goal, we're not perfect. Neither were the Philippians, neither was Paul, and Paul knew that. So he writes Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Follow, follow along with me as I read. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider 
what I have made, that I have made it my, my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. This end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. We have hope to strive forward. Be encouraged knowing that Christ will transform our bodies, will make us anew. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Thank you that, that your word provides for us what we need in life, that, that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are quick to forgive us our sins, and that you love us even when we are unlovable. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, cause us to love you and honor you and all that we say and do. Bless us as we go out. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.